Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Virginia Tech sports. I'm Justin Kochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Saturday, July 31st, and we are counting down the days to football season. It's coming up on us. We're going to recap the offseason here for Virginia Tech, take a look at what happened, how we got to where we're at, and uh, we're going to dive into expectations in uh, another week or so. But first off, Tim, what's, uh, what's going on? What isn't going on is the better question. Um, we've got sick kids at home. We've got uh, we're maybe round two of COVID starting to rear its ugly head. Um, our pets' heads are falling off. I don't know what's going on, man. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, looking like we're going to be in a busy period here in about a couple of weeks. But uh, you know, just trying to maintain the peace and keep the anxiety levels low. Yeah, I mean. Uh... COVID round two, it feels like with the Delta variant. So hopefully that doesn't have too much of an effect on football season and, you know, things uh, kind of go on as planned and hopefully everybody's staying safe out there and doing what they think is best. But, you know, it's been a while, Tim, since uh, since we brushed off this old microphone. I, I kind of forgot how to do everything. Um, it was November 19th, the last time we potted. So welcome back. Glad to be here. And uh, I'm ready to get going. I don't know about you. Oh, I'm, I'm ready. You know, it's one of those things where I think the hiatus was driven by, you know, our lives got a lot busier. Um, I know you, you recently uh, welcomed a, a second kid not too terribly long ago. Um, and as she gets older, you know, parenting duties change and learning how to do the two kid thing. You know, you really start to get in the weeds there. Um, and then last football season was just taxing um, emotionally. It was, yeah. Uh, you know, there were thoughts that were really raw and, you know, it, it was just a time where I think we needed to hit the reset button a little bit. Um, you know, we've been trying to get back. We were in together. a bad place. We were in a dark place. We were place. in a bad place. Dark place. Yeah. Um, but now I think we're better suited, uh, take a little hiatus from the uh, constantly being plugged into what's going on, even though you and I never stopped being plugged in. Let's be serious here. Um, but getting a break oh, yeah. was probably a good thing. Um, but I don't anticipate that kind of hiatus ever happening again and then you had covid which you know was there was fatigue around that set in and you know last year was just it wasn't a whole lot of positive i'll tell you that there there wasn't um you know it's just the end of last season everything just kind of started rearing its ugly head and it was rumor mill central which will kind of get us kicked off into what we're talking about here today right so we're trying to recap the offseason here. It's always good to kind of put the pieces together before we get into kind of a, a preseason preview. And um, I mean, it's that time of year now, Tim. I don't know about you, where I start to get just really optimistic thoughts creeping into my head. Oh, yeah. yeah Virginia Tech can win eight games for sure or nine games. And I think they can. Um, I think there's enough talent on this team. It's just, will it happen? You know, and we won't know until the season kicks off. But. Before we talk about all that, uh, interesting end of the season, obviously. So Virginia Tech, uh, in a normal year, you know, you finish five and six, you don't get a bowl. Uh, last year, if you recall, everybody was bowl eligible, and um, they opted not to have the bowl. And so Fuente said in a recent interview that, you know, he didn't have a unanimous team decision. So, you know, he thought it was best in the best interest of the program to to not move forward, which... Um, I 
I personally have no issues with. I uh, I think the team was probably exhausted with all the the protocols. It wasn't going to be a normal bowl season, and really at the end of the day, you go to play in, you know, Frankie Jim's Auto Bowl up in like Detroit, and what what value do you really get out of that as a football team? Well, especially in today's age where half of the team and not just Virginia Tech, but just across college football is going to transfer. I hate to so. play contrarian already this early into the podcast, but I, I actually disagree a little bit there. Um, and one, I take offense yeah. that you would besmirch the good name of Frankie and Jim and all the great stuff they do in the auto world. But um, I felt the opposite. I thought if there was a split decision in the honor, and it seemed like that based on that interview, that there was a split decision and we don't know whether it was a majority wanted to yeah. or didn't want to. Um, so this is all speculation, but knowing football players, um, I would wager there were probably more that wanted to play than didn't want to play. Um, and if you had any sort of probably. split decision, even if it was 50-50 down the middle, I think in honor of all those who had put in the work to get Virginia Tech's bowl streak to where it was, because, I mean, you think about all the sacrifice that has to happen to perform at that level consistently for that long if there was an opportunity on the table, and there was, to extend the bowl streak, I wish, and this is Captain Hindsight and all of that good stuff, but in hindsight, I, I wish that we would have done that. Um, at the time, I was disappointed. Months later, I'm still a little disappointed about it. Now, I'm not going to judge anyone too harshly or bash anyone over the decisions because I realize completely unprecedented what went on last year. Um but it just kind of, I don't know, man. It, I wish for the sake of tradition, for the sake of the streak, for the sake of all the work that went into getting us where we were there, um, that if there was a split room, uh, we would have gone ahead and done it. And like I said, I'm not going to rant and rave. But, you know, on the flip side of that token, if the, if the vast majority did not want to play, then I'm fine with not playing. At, at the, at the yeah. very least, it is up to the players um, to a certain extent. But I think if you had a split room... Um, and, and maybe even what I would imagine was a majority, a slight majority wanted to play. Uh, I, in hindsight, I wish we had done that. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it just kind of goes back to everything that was in place. Like, it's not a normal year, and the team had the choice and opted to not. So it's, okay, so we're going to be in quarantine over, you know, the holidays probably, and, you know, we're not going to be able to leave our hotel rooms, and we're going to have to get tested six times a day, and... Then what happens if we do have a COVID outbreak? And then what happens if a bunch of guys just decide that they're going to get ready for the draft and then your team looks entirely different? So it's just, it, w it was, you know, I didn't have a, as big of an issue with it. And honestly, like you're five and six, you know, you're going to go play like a Mac level team. I, yeah. it, it is what it is. And I mean, for me, the bull streak was almost kind of hiding the fact over the last decade or so that Virginia Tech football, you know, hasn't been what they were hasn't been a good. little bit <laughs> it just hasn't been good at all right um consistently i mean you've got your your years in there like uh 2016 and you know dating back to 2011 2012 they were still playing at a high level but you know i, I feel like it kind of covered up yeah um yeah some of what we as fans um kind of see from day to day so agreed from that standpoint it's kind of a fresh start um I mean, it's it kind of sucks, right? Because it right. was a super great streak to have. But there's so many bowls these days. I just don't know how much value 
at the end of the day, it really kind of added to our program. Right. So and, and, and that's just kind of what I not a value add, but I will say everybody plays under the same rules. And, you know, there's been a lot of bowls for a long time and we were leading that streak and there was a chance, you know, playing within the rules to extend it. I agree with all of the extenuating circumstances and it wouldn't have been a fun bowl trip. It would have been a, a business trip and a hassle um, with all of the, the protocols that would have come along with it. But, you know, I still just go back to all those that built that streak and all they, they put into it to where, you know, if you have the chance to honor them by playing in that game, even with all of the hassle that comes along with it, if there was a split or a slight majority, you know, I, I wish we would have taken the time um, and, and gone and, and kind of seen it through. Um, but like I said, and, and like you just mentioned, I'm not... I'm not ranting and raving. I'm not torn up about it. It was just one thing that I think, uh, I, I think we got it was, that it one It was wrong. the first happening in a long off season. Let's put it that yes, way. Yes, 100%. And, I mean, that kind of led us up to the rumors, right? Right. So the rumor mill was, was hot and heavy at that point. Um, you know, everybody had their sources. Everybody knew that. Uh, you know, Justin Fuente was going to be fired and, you know, here is the short list of candidates and, you know, you've got Twitter, you know, arguing about Shane Beamer and is he a good fit? Is he not a good fit? Um, it was an entertaining time um, that, you know, per usual worked itself out to show that nobody has information um, except for, you know, the guy at the top, which is Whit Babcock. And, he decides to hold a press conference on, I think the date was December 15th, December 13th, somewhere in that window, uh, which also happened to be the day where Justin Fuente's buyout uh, dropped from 12 and a half, I believe, to 10, if I'm remembering correctly. And basically the message was, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to give this another shot. Um, we're not like super stoked with how the season ended, but you know, we're expecting to see some kind of improvement next season. And, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked about it already. 2020 was not a regular season. It wasn't a regular season for any program, but you're coming off a five and six season. You're going into year six, I believe of Justin Fuente. So you're, you're supposed to start seeing, a change you you should have already started seeing the change oh yeah you know 2020 was a roster that you know essentially brought Fuente and maybe got him over the hump with essentially maybe leaving for the Baylor job uh, because it was a team he wanted to coach and obviously like there was a, a couple players that didn't play or had off the field issues and you know with everything else that led up to it it just wasn't probably the season he had been you know dreaming of in his head obviously but we we're going into year six of a guy who didn't come here with an empty cupboard. I mean, if you no. look at the 2016 roster, uh, there was a ton of NFL talent on that team. ACC championship appearance took Clemson to the brink in that game, um, who then went on to win the national championship. So what is, is concerning is, okay, so now we need moderate improvement in year six. Is that six wins? Is that seven? Is that eight? You know, moderate is is an unclear uh, term when it comes to wins losses in college football. Is it winning the coastal? 
Is it, you know, get into the ACC championship game? I don't know. So obviously it was a presser that people were expecting a big announcement. Uh, it wasn't. And I mean, we've obviously moved on from it, but it was just a really interesting way to kick off the off season. And, you know, I think personally, the biggest thing from Witt's standpoint is he, he kind of lost part of the fan base at that point. Um, because he essentially kind of alienated part of the fan base as well with his uh, talk about the Hokie Club. And I think he's since kind of started digging out of that hole, but it was a really, really weird way to just go into uh, the offseason with recruiting, um, going into your you know second consecutive year of kind of an underwhelming class. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just one of the more odder things I've seen in Virginia Tech football history. Yeah, it, it was. And – you know, part of the issue that I, I still hearken back to is the amount of, of mismanagement that's occurred at both levels of this football program over the last six years has been astounding to me. Um, one issue that I had was the announcement. I thought that was really a weird way to announce sticking around with your current head coach. Um, I don't think the amount of fanfare applied the press conference really needed to occur um, if all that was going to happen. Um, but You don't announce a press conference that your coach is coming no, back for a sixth year. No, and you shouldn't. That's, that's the whole thing about you it. You shouldn't have to be told that either with as tenured as the folks are that are making those decisions. So my real issue here is that we're sitting, and, and this gets back to the seed of what I think all of my qualms with the football program and where we are now kind of culminate. And that's when Justin Fuente was hired. I think we've, we've got a bit of a revisionist history as to what occurred and where we were as a program. Um, there are people that make it seem as if we didn't have talent um, and that we were just a shell of a program at that time. And that was not the case what happened in my biggest issue with with Fuente to this point is that instead of going with the blueprint that already existed to make Virginia Tech a consistently successful program, it seems as though he got here and just kind of blew everything up. And I mean that, you know, when you look at recruiting, where our focus and our priorities were, what we were doing on that front, and you don't really bear the fruit of that in the first couple of years because there's new coach hype in recruiting that exists. And especially if that new coach takes you to an ACC championship game, that masks a lot of ills. But in the background, especially in state, where there was a blueprint to success, where we're talking about a state and a region where there's more than enough talent to consistently win the ACC, or at the very least, the Coastal, which has been historically bad the last six years. Um historically historically bad the fact that we weren't able to capitalize in this six years should be enough to send fuente packing or have already sent fuente packing in my mind but the biggest issue for me before you know i i pass the the mic back to you on this one um was that we had a coach and still have a coach that made consistently bad decisions for a really long time um especially when it comes to program management strategically coaching hires recruiting all of those things 
And Fuente came in, and I think the sense and maybe what he did was, okay, we've got to change what was done. And I, I think that couldn't have been further for the truth. We got away from a blueprint that was a proven way to keep Virginia Tech a winner, prioritizing in-state recruits, um, relationships with, with local high schools, uh, that we completely put by the wayside. And I think that was the biggest misstep you could have ever asked for, starting as the head coach of Virginia Tech, because one of our greatest assets was that we were, we were a well-oiled machine in a lot of regards, especially when it comes to keeping that talent level high in that program. What we did need was a bit of a scheme facelift, especially on the offensive side of the football, and we needed a little more excitement. We weren't that far from where we had been, and there's been a lot of revisionist history looking back. I mean, you, people talk about the, the latter parts of the Frank Beamer years that we were just not remotely close to the program we once were. And, and I disagree, and I think that that theory is proven um, a bit by the immediate success that Justin Fuente was able to have. Um, and so th- that's where I took issue was we've made missteps from the jump, and I think we got it all wrong from the very beginning. And you had a chance at that time to make a decision that would have changed the course of the program and I'm not just talking about Shane Beamer, even though I was on the Shane train. Because if you want to talk about somebody who knows the recipe, uh, that guy can cook it without even looking at the ingredients. But the way we continually botch these things, even something as little as the, the, the trumped-up press conference to announce that you're retaining your old head football coach, are just on the, on the CVS receipt-length list of missteps that we've had and we, we had a chance to do something about it. We didn't. And as you said, uh, it did. It alienated a lot of the fan base um, when that happened. And I, I can't blame them. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I was, I, I was not like, uh, I didn't think firing Fuente at the time was going to right all of our wrongs either. And I mean, to your point about the kind of getting away from what, kind of turn Virginia Tech into what it was, you know, I think they're starting to take those steps back. You know, they're starting to backtrack on that, and we're starting to see some of that momentum on the recruiting trail that we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, I think it's um, my biggest challenge with the whole Fuente thing is, you know, he was supposed to be this QB guru. Like, you know, we were supposed to have this great offense. It was going to be a little bit of a different style of football for Virginia Tech. And, um we just haven't seen that. Like I can't, I can't identify what Virginia Tech's offensive identity is and being going into year six, like that's kind of problematic, right? Very. There's just been a constant QB carousel at the quarterback position. You know, you got Gerard Evans and then Josh Jackson came in and Evans left early Jackson transfers and you've got the Hendon hooker thing. And I mean, it's just and been to stop you a, there. A the, the kind of, the biggest issue with that, Justin, is is not only the lack yeah. of of consistency there; it's the lack of growth that we've seen from that position uh, over the course of an entire body of work. Here, we're talking five six years, where we've seen regression at the most important position on the football field, year in and year out. Right. And I think you know, I think Braxton is a guy who is going to determine Fuente's future. 
Um, I think Fuente's future is on the arm of Braxton Burmeister or on the back or whatever you want to say, because I, th- I think it was very clear, like he was kind of the favorite option last year going into the season. That's to me why he started the season. Um, and he, you know, showed flashes at times, but, you know, had inconsistent um, ability. And I mean, this year there is no insurance policy really. So it's, uh, it's Braxton Burmeister, it's bust, but we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, but just an interesting way to go into the off season. I mean, if we look at some of the coaching changes, you know, there's always kind of coaching movement, but figured we'd highlight it here. So you had uh, Tracy Clay's retire. Uh, the shock of the off season was Daryl Tapp uh, going to the 49ers. And I shouldn't say shock, right? Right. Like you get an NFL uh, coaching job when you're kind of a, a you know, an assistant to an assistant coach, like you're going to, you're going to take that. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a dream. So, it was a dream for him. And yeah, right. we, we hate to lose him, but no, that's not, that's not anything we would ever hold against anyone, whether it be tap or, or Fuente for, uh, for yeah, any we shouldn't of look at it as a negative no, to Fuente no, either. Never. So, I mean, it's opportunity knocked and he, uh, he answered. So, um, that'll be fun to watch him as he kind of, continues to build out his coaching career but uh what we did see is both of those guys were replaced by former Hokies so we had Jack Tyler who is moving into the full-time kind of linebacker coaching role um and he's a guy who has really you know been developed as a coach by this coaching staff so good to see him get his opportunity and then they brought in uh J.C. Price as well who you know former Virginia Tech defensive lineman He's been a coach for 20 years. He is now the co-D-line coach with uh, Link, And uh, both, from what we've seen, have already been paying dividends on the recruiting trail. Yeah. So and it's great to bring in that Virginia Tech vibe to the staff, but also, you know, these guys know how it's done on the trail and they can sell the program. Right. And, and this is where, you know, if I am harsh on Fuente to, at, at one side, there, there were Fuente is making strides, and this is one of those places where I can point to to say, I think he's starting to get it a little bit. Um, I loved these hires, especially you know on the recruiting side. Uh, Price, I think, is going to be an absolute dynamite hire. Um, you know, it, it, and Tyler, great as well. But what I really like to see is that connection to the let's call it the old way, quote unquote that those two can kind of bridge over to the new uh, side of Hokie football. And I think Fuente sees and is seeing the importance of that connection to the old way. There are some things I'm seeing, especially when you talk about high school recruiting, um, that I hate to read into the tea leaves too much, but where I was very critical in the past, and I can't be so critical moving forward because it does seem to me like there is there are connections being made. And what I think are the right ways as far as rebuilding those inroads and strengthening that in-state recruiting that is going on. And I think these hires uh, support that totally. Yeah, no, it it definitely does. Um, And we'll talk about that in a little bit with the recruiting that we've seen for the 22 class. And then, Tim, the other coaching note I wanted to mention, so John Tenuta, father of Luke, uh, he has coached probably in like 85 different places. Oh my so word. he's coming in as a defensive analyst, um, kind of similar to maybe what Jerry kill was to the offense. Um, not really sure what his, his full role is going to be, but just kind of interesting to see how that plays out. And if he's just kind of another resource for, for Justin Hamilton to tap into there. So, 
I'm not sure what you make of that one, but I thought it was an interesting move. Well, I, I like it because anytime you can get a guy in sort of an advisory role that has that sort of experience, um, you know, Tenuta is a just a guy. I mean, he's been the guy. He's been defensive coordinator all over the place. He's had similar advisory roles with NC State in the fairly recent past um, where, you know, he understands what kind of that position entails and where he can add value. And I see a lot of people that kind of dunk on Tenuta. You know, he's one of those guys that's easy to to kind of bash when you look at the results of some of his defenses in the not-too-distant uh, past. But people forget Tenuta was once uh, one of the premier defensive college uh, football uh, defensive coordinators. Now, in an advisory role, I think having someone that is a sounding board, especially transitioning to a new defense, you know, changing a bit of the defensive scheme, I think that's invaluable to have that sort of wisdom, that guy with that kind of experience to pair with an inexperienced defensive coordinator who I'm a huge fan of. Um, you know, I, I, I can't sing enough praises about Justin Hamilton, both as a coordinator. Um, I think he's got massive potential there, but just as a hokey and the type of person he is, if you want to talk about one person on the staff that just gets it, it's Justin Hamilton. Um, and so anything you can do to make his job into this role easier, I'm all for. And I think that's exactly what Tanuna does. So some other off-season happenings, um, and I felt like the fan base was louder about this than the bowl, was the no spring game. Right. Um, so obviously March was uh, a little bit of a different world than today. You know, the vaccine hadn't been fully rolled out. Um and although we're starting to see COVID numbers rise again, so we'll see kind of what impact that has. You know, they were only going to allow 1,000 fans in, but then they decided, no, we're not going to have it. Uh, and it was just kind of a huge – and for for me, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I'm never going to travel to a spring game. But I would flip it on, you know, 100%. if it was on the ACC network, like all of the other ACC spring games were. Um, and so it's really just kind of a missed marketing opportunity. Um, that, that was the way that I felt. And just in a kind of slew of marketing miscues um, that this, you know, coach has had over his Virginia Tech tenure. Um, so that to me was the most frustrating part about it. Um, they chose to have a close practice um, and just kind of closed out spring that way. And it just, you know, it felt like that would have been an easy win for Fuente to just have the spring game, televise it, you know, maybe let a couple of fans in uh, with the 1,000 number. But, again, just kind of a, a squandered opportunity. To me, I mean, like I said, like I wasn't, like, heartbroken about it or anything, but it was just kind of an annoyance of, like, God, I just feel like this guy just doesn't get it. Yeah, I mean, th this has been one of our largest criticisms. I mean, missed marketing opportunities or bad marketing in general – uh, go together with hokey football like peach cobbler and a scoop of van vanilla ice cream at this point. It's insane the amount of times that we just don't appear to quote-unquote get it. But this was a layup. This is a slam dunk. And regardless of how much impact you think it actually has, it has an impact. Um, even if it's just connecting with the Virginia Tech fan base that had been alienated for so long. Um, this, this was one of those layups. And, and I, I don't want to hear COVID excuses about it. I don't want to hear anything about that. Because we could have had no fans show up and just televise it. And that would have been so much better than what we actually did. And it was frustrating at the time. It still doesn't make a lick of sense to me. 
as to why we didn't just go ahead and have this spring game. But it, it adds to the mountain of frustration when you look at Virginia Tech, which I think was one of the most marketable programs in the whole of college football towards the end of, of Beamer's uh, tenure here, to now we continue to run into issues with marketing, uh, transparency, fan access, those kind of things. And I think we're making strides. We certainly are in some areas. I think they've done a great job of humanizing Fuente in a way that needed to occur because whether you like it or not, he's just not... He doesn't have a big personality. He's not an animated guy, you know. But I will say, when you hear him in an interview and you see some of these videos on him, he's a likable dude. And I think that that needs to be pushed on and leaned into more um, than we have. And I think everybody would agree with that. But this was one of those easy, easy, easy layup marketing opportunities that we just let go by the wayside for what reason? I, I, I don't Didn't, know. Uh, didn't Clemson a while back do like a a hard knocks or something? I think like so. It was like an all access. An equivalent. I mean, NC State does one. Yeah. Um, th- God, that would be fascinating. Among other ACC programs. Just see Fuente in his habitat. Well, I, I think so too because. Day to day basis. When you see Fuente and, and when you do get that access, you're like, hey, this guy's actually kind of funny. He, he's actually a pretty personable dude. Um, wow, this dude can bench press 450 yeah, pounds he's, he's jacked why don't you just show him do it like 250 <laughs> that's right just give me 30 seconds of fuente curls um with some kind of hype song in the background i whatever you got to do because you know we've we've we're at this myth that exists about fuente that he's got the personality of a dishcloth because it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy we haven't marketed him we haven't marketed the program and now people think we're boring well we shot ourselves in the foot on that one. We haven't done anything to drum up any sort of excitement or lean into any of this. It's just, it's weird when you look at our basketball program. Oh, yeah. And how we market that compared sure. to football. And I, I know it's it's programs that are in different places right now, and one has a different trajectory than the other. But let's do more of that. Let's be more like basketball, which is a crazy thing for somebody like us to say that grew up with Virginia Tech football and basketball was never really at the forefront of our minds. But, you know, let's market Virginia Tech football like we market the basketball. Yeah. I mean, that does start with the head coach. I mean, Mike Young Young and Fuente could not be any more different. No. Um, And so, I mean, maybe, maybe it just starts there, but yeah, I mean, my, my thing is to like, one thing I I feel like I, uh, I wanted to mention is, Oh, it's it's slipped my mind now actually. So it'll it'll probably come back to me. But I mean, so there was there was no spring game. Um and then the other thing that happened too was the kind of the reach for excellence four hundred million dollar campaign that launched thirty million for football and you know, I think for, for one thing we're starting to see more um investment put into uh Virginia Tech facilities, uh which I think will pay long term dividends as long as they keep reinvesting in those facilities and making sure that they stay up to date. Cause I think that's what has happened is they built something, but then they just never updated it. Um, but it came back to me now. So the one thing with Fuente that I think we have started seeing better this off season is engaging past players. 100%. So that was something that tap was kind of tasked with and, you know, it hit kind of a, a speed bump with COVID and whatnot, but um, it definitely does feel like our uh, player alumni base is um, 
more engaged and being utilized in a better way than uh, than they had been over the last five years. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And that, that's only something that's going to lead to you know good things. And the only frustrating <laughs> thing about it is it shouldn't take this long into a coaching tenure to realize that was something that needed addressing. Um, but I am glad yeah, that I mean, we're doing it. Like honestly, it, it took about four. Four full seasons, and then maybe you can say before last season he started to maybe realize the way, and again we're we're starting to see that's pay off in in more ways than one. But sure, let's talk about let's talk about transfers, Tim. So, uh, transfer portal is like the new free agency and uh, in college sports. Um, obviously, everybody before the season ended, we knew uh, Quincy Patterson was transferring to North Dakota State, so that's a former. A uh, very high four-star who, you know, was a, a highly touted recruit, didn't work out. Hendon Hooker entered the portal for the second time in his Virginia Tech career, and this time he followed through, transferred to the Volunteer State, right down the road from me here, um, about four hours, to University of Tennessee. So that's going to be interesting to just see if, if he is the starting, uh, if he gets the starting nod and then how, how he performs, but the the two that um the hooker one i guess you know you enter the transfer portal once i'm not surprised if you enter it again no like, clearly there's just something there that's not working and, for and you. given his the specific situation really, i i get it i'm not you know I, that that right. makes complete sense the two that really just stunned me I and mean, i still don't understand was the Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson transfers right um cuz it felt like that group was pretty locked in um Vance Vice is, uh, by all accounts, the greatest uh, off-the-line coach in the history of college football. <laughs> and, you, you know, you had your two kind of blue-chip recruits who have played a lot over the last two seasons and were going to be staples of that line this season. And uh, and they left. And they went, to, they went to West Virginia and Louisville, you know? So it's not like they went to Ohio State and Clemson. So... That would, those those two were a shock for me. Um, extremely disappointed to see that happen, especially like it couldn't have been a playing time issue. Like they they were on the field constantly, so um, that was disappointing. We had Deshaun Crawford enter the the transfer portal, and then really the big hit came not too long ago. But we've seen the top four guys out of the twenty twenty class transfer. And that class was ranked 76 overall to start with. So we had Tyree Saunders go to ECU. Justin Beatles transferred. Defensive end went to Houston. And then we had two more defensive ends transfer, Alec Bryan and Robert Wooten, um, who I believe went to Texas Tech in, I can't remember the other one, maybe Houston again. But the the weird aspect with Bryant and, uh, and Wooten was they both said it was a situation out of their hands and and the football program's hands. So I have no idea what that means. And uh, with other things that have happened this offseason, I'm not going to speculate. But disappointing to see. Uh, nonetheless, like uh, two guys that you'd have to imagine were going to contribute this season, that were getting some nice uh, nice airtime in the spring. So, I mean, here we are again, Tim. You know, you've got your recruiting aspect you know, you've got all of these rankings. You put all this importance on recruiting and all these guys that are committing. And really, it's it's changing the game because 
you can't feel good about a class until they're probably through their sophomore year right. these days because you have no idea if they're going to be here or not. Right. And it's another one of those areas where I've seen Fuente kind of get some criticism. And I just don't, you know, I, I don't share the opinion because it is such an issue across the entire sport that this is somehow, you know, Fuente's fault or that Fuente is not doing his job here. I think it's just one of those things you're, we're going to have to learn to live with to a certain degree. Um, you know, I think maybe it may be a focus and a priority being placed on in-state kids may or may not improve this a little bit. Maybe they'd be more invested and more willing to stick around. Um, but in the end, this is just one of those things that you can't control. And if you're going to get ate up by it every time it happens, <laughs> you're in for a rough ride because it's only going to get worse. And, um, you know, I do get a little irritated with the amount of flack Fuente seems to get for this because there's so much stuff that you can genuinely attribute to Fuente and decision-making and all those kind of things that you shouldn't need to grasp at every straw. So here, I look, it happens. It seems like with a portion of this, it may have been academic-related or behavioral-related, and we can't speculate on those kind of things. And you just got to get used to it. That's going to happen, and you just got to hope that the flip side of that coin plays in your favor and that you get impact guys to transfer in. And we've also seen that uh, in our football program, guys transfer in and have a big impact. So... It give well, it, it goes it. back to as well. You you recruit you recruit the player. You cru- recruit the person. You don't recruit the rank. Um, and I mean, to me, that's becoming more and more uh, important. And actually, you know, Mac Brown was on. Uh, I believe it was the Pat McAfee show um, earlier this year, and there was a really good interview with him about how they approach recruiting. So I'd recommend you go look that up. Just type in Mac Brown, Pat McAfee show interview. And he talks about the, uh, the guys that they look for and he'll be honest with guys. And he's like, he'll tell coaches like, yeah, this guy's a four star, but he's not, he's not somebody who's going to be here for the long haul. You can just tell, he just has a feeling about people and he he'll straight tell these kids like, you're not going to be happy here. Don't, don't come here. If you think you're going to be, you know, our starting cornerback, you know, right out of high school you've got this guy this guy and this guy in front of you are you going to be happy with that are you going to be happy with maybe not playing until your junior year and he'll straight up have those conversations and i mean he's he's in a little bit of a different situation because they've got higher quality guys coming in so they can maybe have those tougher conversations but it's better to have those conversations up front which is what he was saying than to bring a guy in who you think may or may not be happy at some point down the road and then have to deal with, you know, him leaving. And he he was also like, you know, in Virginia tech standpoint, you know, the transfer portal can take it, but it can give it as well. And I mean, Fuente's done a pretty good job of bringing in some pretty high profile guys off of, uh, out of that portal. Absolutely. Um, But for Brown and UNC, you know, it's not something that they, currently spend a tremendous amount of time on um because they feel like they're bringing in the right guys but i think there's going to be a point where everybody's got to be utilizing this portal to the best of their ability in order to fill out a roster or to maybe essentially like what you saw at the trade deadline in baseball like okay we're going to get this guy he's only going to be here for a year but we've got a big hole at defensive tackle you know let's bring this guy in so You know, it is what it is. And, I mean, we've seen Virginia Tech over the years have success. You know, Gerard Evans, um, their starting quarterback this year is going to be Braxton Burmeister, Khalil Herbert. 
you know, so they've they've had good success. Uh, they've got uh, Jordan Williams coming in from Clemson, who was a guy that they recruited, Big and time. you know were in like in competition with Clemson for, but he chose Clemson. Now he's he's back uh, he's back in Virginia. And then uh, they also brought in a Vanderbilt safety, uh, Tay Daly, and then some much-needed depth at offensive line with a Maryland uh, transfer, Johnny Jordan. Um, so, you know, filled some holes. Uh, that defensive tackle, Jordan Williams, I'm, I'm excited about him because we've we've got some depth concerns on that that defensive line and really just across the front six. So anything that uh, that we can get there additional, I think will be kind of much needed. So yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Tim, but I'm excited about the guys they've brought in. Um, but it's just, a, it's a new, it's a new thing in college football that we're just going to have to deal with. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for what we've brought in. I think that's one of the strengths that Fuente has had uh, to this point is his ability to fill holes uh, via the transfer portal, get some impact players. Um, you know, I, I think the, the underlying, uh, issue here or, or the biggest change you may see going forward is I think for schools especially like Virginia Tech is it's going to make the regional recruiting even more important than maybe it was um, because when you talk about guys that are more invested in your state in your area that grew up around my theory is that they would be more likely to stick around uh, maybe through some turbulence or when times got tough uh, because they're near their family, they feel a, a sense of a real sense of pride and attachment to the university, um, which was one of my biggest criticisms with this this weird drive with the Texas to Virginia Tech recruiting movement that I just was not a huge fan of. Um, you know, our bread and butter needs to be our regional recruiting, and I think this sort of shift, especially with the transfer market, <laughs> transfer market. Um, you know, when you talk about the transferring and all of the other stuff that's going on, um, it, it's only going to get more important to kind of focus on that. And, you know, the other side of that is this is just the way it's going to be to a certain extent. And we just got to make friends with it. And uh, we've learned how to play in the sandbox to a good degree. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, that kind of ability to get the talent we need and to address our needs continues as, you know, this transfer thing gets more and more wonky. So obviously some big uh, NFL departures as well. Um, you know, Khalil Herbert, Christian Derisaw, Caleb Farley. Derisaw and Farley go back-to-back -back in the first round, which was awesome. And uh, Divine Diablo, all drafted, all signed, all in NFL training ca camps right now. Uh, there was also some other guys that left uh, that had an extra year of eligibility, like your Rayshard Ashby's, um, you know, your Justice Reeds, and kind of a number of others. So... You know, those are, uh, you know, specifically Derisaw, Diablo, and Herbert. Obviously, they didn't play with Farley last year, but Herbert is obviously the biggest hole they need to fill up on that off the side of the ball. And then, uh, you know, I think, honestly, Virginia Tech's uh, secondary is, is the best part of their defense this year. So they should be able to absorb that Diablo loss, but big, uh, big leader that they've lost in the locker room there. But excited to see these guys at the next level. Um, you know, hopefully... Farley gets off the uh, physically unable to perform list soon here in Nashville and, you know, starts taking uh, taking the league by storm. So we'll uh, we'll wait and see. But, you know, some big holes to fill there. And then, honestly, you know, somebody who they brought in from the transfer portal last year, Shangahash, he tore his ACL in April, if you uh, do not recall that. So tough break for a guy who didn't really get a ton of playing time last year and was probably 
you know, in line to be, you know, in the mix uh, this season. So uh, definitely a big loss uh, for him, disappointing way to kind of finish the year. And then um, definitely a depth issue um, at wide receiver for Virginia Tech. But, you know, there were some off the field issues uh, we're not going to really talk about. Um, I guess one of the ones that is more in Virginia Tech's favor here was uh, Devin Hunter being reinstated. So, uh, obviously, we know how his season ended last year um, with an off-the-field incident, and um, I guess the program and the school felt like he shown remorse and kind of understood his situation a little bit better, so he has been reinstated. Obviously, he was a big-time recruit, four stars, and um, you know we're not sure if he's going to start or not, but he's going to be in the mix most likely at that rover position. Um, it sounds like Devin Taylor has been uh, taking a lot of reps at that position as well. So he was uh, the cornerback who transferred in from Illinois State last year. And then um, Ty Daly, who we had mentioned earlier, who was the transfer from Villanova, is uh, also in the mix there. So, you know, we'll see how that works. I mean, I think it'll be great to have him back. Um, it was a shock uh, when he was kicked off the team just with the, uh, you know, kind of the character guy that, he had been since his time at Blacksburg. So good to see him back. Hopefully he's got a chip on his shoulder and uh, he gives us some much needed depth on the defense, um, especially in the back end. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of those guys that can be a true impact player on the defense, which is, you know, something we've been screaming out for, Um, you know, with Farley not playing last year, you know, he's one of those guys that can get up near the line of scrimmage, make plays in the backfield that I'm really excited to see. And, you know, for it to shake out in a positive manner, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly happy to see it. So, you know, we'll we'll end our uh, off-season recap with some positive news on the recruiting trail, which has to be music to uh, any Virginia Tech football fans' ears. And so, all the transfers that they've had, the Hokies have done fairly well on the trail. And you know, over the last couple of years, Virginia Tech has only pulled in two four stars. You know, Bryant was one of those who just transferred, and DJ Harvey, who is entering his first season on campus, was the other one. He's the cornerback from California. So, what we are seeing, which is uh, is really kind of a testament to getting back to what Virginia Tech built the foundation of the program on, was Virginia to VT. Basically, it's beginning to pay off. And I mean, in 2020, they only had one commit from the state of Virginia. In 2021, they had seven. You know, right now they've got 10 in the 22 class and that includes uh, some pretty big names such as Gunnar Givens and it's you know the first time they've had two top 10 players from the state of Virginia since 2018 commit to the program which is so hard to wrap your head around if you know where this program has been historically but glad to see them kind of getting back to what made them what they are and with the transition from Froster to Hamilton at defensive coordinator, we've got a number of coaches now that have ties to the state of Virginia on this defensive side of the balls. And, it, you know, that focus is definitely starting to pay off. Even with losses like Daryl Tapp, you replace him with a guy like Price, who has recruiting ties in the state. You know, he's been at programs near this area, so he knows it well. And I mean, we're they're they're getting some really nice names. Like I mentioned, Gunnar Givens, huge get a couple of weeks ago. You got Ramon Brown, who um, would be their highest uh, committed running back since David Wilson, uh, assuming that he signs at the running back position. 
And then you also got the 16th, 20th, 26th uh, ranked players in the state of Virginia. Um, and a lot of big defensive ends coming in there as well. So really good to see. Um, I think all of the guys they brought in, Tim, from the state of Virginia, which is 10, are top 37 or higher in the state. So that's uh, that's definitely music to the ears. Yeah, it is. And this is one of those unforgivable sins that I've had such a big issue with Fuente with when you list off the amount of commits we've had from the state the past couple of years. It's just it's it's absolutely unacceptable um, for our football program and everything that we do to run into that scenario. It just tells me our priorities were completely off and that we I'm going to flat out say had no freaking clue what we were doing. Um now, I'm not trying to be too harsh on Fuente, but that, that buck stops with him. And the impact of our depth and the product that you're going to see on the field because of those missteps is, is hard to understate. Um, you know, We're not going to really feel that impact quite yet, but in the next year, year or two, we're going to see it real big with our depth and, and potential issues that come up. It is so good to see the changes that needed to be made occurring in regards to focus, prioritization, and in getting some bigger name guys, which were, you know, we were having the toughest time in the world with anyone that had four stars uh, before. And and now you see some impact guys committing to the program, um, especially when you see them coming from in-state. That's just, it doesn't get better than that. But, you know, let's just hope it continues. Let's hope that focus stays where it needs to be because seeing those changes um, and seeing uh, us reaping the benefits of maybe some adjustments that we made a year or two ago in order to address these issues, um, couldn't be happier about that. Couldn't be happier. So, yeah, I'm, I'm completely fired up to see, you know, changes on that front. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at a guy like Ramon Brown, who I might I, I might add is an 804 recruit, um, went to Manchester High School, which is the high school I would have gone to had I not moved to beautiful Powhatan, Virginia back in the day. But uh, the Manchester High School football coach, former Virginia Tech Hokie himself, and he is quoted as saying that he thinks the Hokies are making strides in in-state recruiting. So that is good to see. That's good to hear. And if you look at the current rankings, and again, don't don't freak out here, but the Hokies are currently ranked 15th. And so... Let's say this class holds true. Everybody signs, get a couple more guys. They're going to come back down to earth. There, that that number is going to to drop into the mid twenties or maybe even the low thirties. The average composite ranking for the class right now is point eight six six, which is firmly in that three star range. The number could go up. I think a lot of guys, you know, it was a weird football season for high school last year. You know, not all these guys have so much tape, so you may see some pretty big movement with stars and and ratings as we kind of head into the season. Um, But there's also a number of programs that have far fewer commits so far than Virginia Tech does. So if everything was the hell today, you know, worst case scenario, this is a top 30 class or better, which is obviously a huge improvement for what we've seen over the last two years. Um, And if you look at Virginia Tech since really kind of the internet recruiting era, which is since 2001, uh, they've only had two top 20 classes or better, and they've never had one that's higher than 18th. So where they're trending right now is pretty much historic Virginia Tech. I think, like I said, they'll move back into probably that mid-20s range, but you know they've got guys like uh, Xavier Simmons and Alex Orgy who 
you know, you'd have to imagine are uh, probably going to jump up to that four-star range as well. Right. And, you know, that's Virginia Tech, historically, we're not a team that needs top 15, top 20 recruiting classes to win. Um, but what we're not going to do is recruit like the likes of Boston College and Duke and be the same old Virginia Tech. So these strides cannot be understated. But, you know, how bad we got really can't be understated either. So we're right where we need to be right now, firmly where we need to be. Because right now, as you mentioned, those 247 rankings are inflated due to the amount of commits we have. So we are going to, quote unquote, come back down to earth, but not down to earth, meaning, you know, the, the pits where we saw ourselves over the last few years. We're going to come back down to earth towards our historical averages in the modern Virginia Tech era, which is good. And that's we can win the ACC at that level of recruiting. Um, as long as we consistently hit that level of recruiting. And I think, you know, I'm certainly, my hopes are high that we will. You're going to at least put yourself in a strong position to to compete. And you should be winning the Coastal uh, more times than not. And then, you know, depending on how Clemson continues to, to grow, like you should at least have a puncher's chance against somebody like them. But, you know, I think... Um, you know, the one thing to keep in mind with this class is, it, you know, it's very tied to the Virginia Tech coaching staff. So, you know, if uh, Fuente and company, you know, have a disastrous season, you know, there's some changes made, you know, this class could go up in smoke quick. So, you know, there's always kind of that element of it. Um, but it's good to see right now as, you know, we're going in, you know, Fuente's got the backing of of the AD. Um, with, you know, a, a firm kind of expectation of, of what he's expecting to see. And I'm sure recruiting was one of those elements. And so it's um, it's good to see Virginia Tech back to where they, they really belong in that top 25 range as far as uh, recruiting across the nation. So that's uh, that's our show for today. Great to be back. Thanks for listening. Um, and again, we're Chowder and Grits. If you like the show, tell your friends. Um, you know, tell tell anybody, tell your mom, your dad, your grandmother, uh, your grandfather, uh, your neighbor's cousin. I don't care who it is. You know, tell them, tell them to leave us a five star rating. If you didn't like the show, I mean, that's cool too. You know, you don't have to tell anybody about it then. Um, but if you just left us a five star, just in case, or you know, no stars, whatever, just don't leave us a rating. That's fine too. Uh, but Tim, any anything before we sign off here? No, just that it feels good to be back and, you know, pay attention to the Twitter. I think we talked about maybe doing some giveaways, which would be nice. Um, and we'll get more into those on the social media front. But, uh, yeah, other than it feels really good to be back. And, you know, you touched on the, the review bit. Um, we promise not to leave you again for another seven months. See you guys later.